Listen, without further ado, I want to introduce our preacher for tonight. It's Neil. Uh, there we go. That's a good, warm welcome. Um, I, I let out a bit in the, in the worship before the time. I don't think it will be right of me to not introduce Neil properly. First time I met Neil was in 90, 1997, September. Neil came and interviewed me in Valcom to see if I can come and study theology. There we go. Thanks, Kalk. And that's where I met Neil. And Neil was my flocky leader. And um, I was thinking about Neil this afternoon, not in a good way, you know. I really like Neil. <laughs> Things Neil said to me when he was my flock leader in 98, 99, 2000, I still use today. Because when Neil speaks, it's a place from truth and it comes from the heart. So I really believe the message he brings tonight, open your hearts and hear from Neil. Because the Lord's speaking through him. Can I pray for you? Father, thank you for that you have blessed Neil and that you have anointed him for a time such as this. What a privilege it is to, to introduce him to the people. I pray that you will just be with him as he preaches. Anoint him. Let your anointing and presence rest thick on him. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Gideon. Hello, everybody, again. Thank you for the warm welcome. I have a traveling fan club, in case you're wondering. Um, so tonight, I wonder how you feel about change. If you think of the word change, what does it evoke in your emotional level. And if you could change one thing about yourself, um, you know, that's within your scope, like, you know, not produce world peace or something, something about yourself, something maybe to do with your behavior or your character or maybe something in your personality, I wonder what you would want to change. Perhaps on a more personal or intimate level, what would be that one thing inside yourself that you just wish could be different. Uh, I'm a little bit about myself, because although I think everybody knows me, just I like talking about myself a lot. Um, I'm the husband of one wife, and, and, and I will stay that way or I will die. And I'm the daughter of, uh, I'm the father of one daughter. I'll be quite liberal here. Um, I'm the father of one daughter. She's a seven going on 17. She, for example, would think that KB is a friend and a peer. KB thinks the same too. Um, but two years ago, we were teaching her a Bible verse. She had to learn a Bible verse at school. It was at Psalm 139 one, which says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And we were drilling it the whole week, you know, feeling the pressure as parents that your children at least need to be, get the scripture verses right and, and so on. And uh, she was getting it right. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. It's not difficult, but she was five, you know, so... She was doing it well, and then on the morning, just before we left for school, where she had to say this to her teacher and get it right, I share the story so that you can understand the exegetical depth of my child. Uh, so I say to her, so Ashley, how did God make you? And she looks at me, and she goes, easy. <laughs> <clears throat> so how can God change you? Easy. Okay. But as we think about change, um, being Father's Day, I thought of a change process that I went through in my life. And this particular one, I've been through many change processes. I didn't only change once. I'm a married man. Um, being married is like taking a higher grade course in change and transformation. Are there married people here? Were they the ones giggling? Yeah. See, if you're single 
It's because there's something wrong with you and you haven't changed enough. <laughs> and I'm here tonight to help you change in case you needed any motivation. Um, so I've had many change encounters in my life. I'm married to Tia. She's quite good at changing me. That's why, you know, that's why marriage starts... Sorry, I'll get, I'll get to the point now. That's why marriage starts at altars. Do you know that? Do you know why marriage started at an altar? Because you will be altered. Jeez. Okay. There was a point in my life when I was uh, in my 20s where I realized I needed to change in a certain aspect of my life. I came to Hatfield and I'd uh, done the life training school, LTS. And it, although I'd grown up in church and I knew Jesus, well, I thought quite well, I knew He was my Savior, I knew He was my Lord. But when I came to Hatfield, it was the first time in my life, about 20 years, that I heard that God was a Father. And as they taught this to us, I, and we went through the scriptures, I was intellectually convinced of this. I knew in my head that this was true, that God was a father. But after a while, I realized that what I knew in my head and what I experienced in my heart were a little bit different. And as I was considering this and reflecting this and wondering why I couldn't get this wonderful truth from my head to my heart, and as I was reflecting on it, uh, one of the things I realized was that uh, as I was growing up, I had a good dad. Uh, he was a good provider. He was there. We grew up quite well. But he also battled with major depression. And so he was never really very emotionally engaged. That's why I look like... <laughs> no. Um, don't worry. I'm like all healed. It's fine. Um, and... He was never really emotionally close to us. And so what happened is, as I reflected this relationship, I was kind of putting it onto God. And I realized, although I knew God was a father and he loved me, it just kind of never went through to my heart. And I felt always that God was a little bit distant. Or I kept him distant would probably be a truer way to reflect. And I had to go on this changed journey. Now, because I'm a man and I'm slow, it took me about three years, okay? Because it's like, you know, you know men and processing emotions, eh? Ladies, you don't know this. This is why you're single, you see. Um, um, the truth, men do actually have emotions. They just they tend not to deal with them. And they bury them. And that's why it took me so long to process this journey of my heart. And as I went through a process, which I didn't understand in the language I'm going to talk to you about tonight, but I felt God take me to that process. There was this day when... It's like this thing just fell six inches. This truth fell from my head to my heart. And suddenly God just flooded my world. And then change became easy because as soon as the truth was in my heart, it was so much easier to live differently and to be more open and uh, receive love and give love in a better way. And so I wonder tonight, what are you wrestling with? What is God wanting to change in your life? You see, change can be hard. It can be difficult. Sometimes change can even be scary, but change is always rewarding, particularly if you're changing in the right direction. Because you see, as believers, as Christians and those interested in God, we don't just change for the sake of change. We want to change into a specific direction. We want to be going somewhere. Now, the change story I shared with you was a slow process of change. I needed it. I'm dumb that way. Okay, But sometimes change is dramatic, and God, when you get born again, you 
something changes on the inside immediately. But we're always changing from something to something. Now, hopefully that change is in a good direction. It's in a better direction. And it's important that we consider the direction. And so in this month of June, we've been talking about Romans chapter 12, the perfect pattern. And tonight we're going to focus on fruitfulness, but we'll get there by a bit of a journey. And so as we consider Romans 12, remember Romans 12 comes after Romans 1 to 11. This is higher grade stuff, okay? But Romans 1 to 11 is very much about what we should believe, what we, how we should believe or how we should think about what God has done for us. And once we know what we should believe from Romans 12 on through to 16, it starts telling us how we should behave. Because what you believe always affects how you behave, whether you like it or not, it does. And so Romans 1 to 11, Paul settles this, all the wonderful things about what we should believe God has done for us, what his plan is in salvation. And we hit Romans 12 and it starts talking to us about how we behave. And one of the first main ideas in Romans 12 is that we must offer our lives in obedience to God. The, some of the translations use this language of being a, a living sacrifice. We offer our lives in obedience to God. This place of sacrifice in our lives is a place of surrender. But as Pastor Louis so aptly shared with us a couple of weeks ago in the morning services, when I surrender, when I put something on the altar, that place of change, I create space in my life. I'm taking something out of my life I'm giving it to God, and there's this space in my life for God to invade and for God to come in. So while sacrifice might cost, the reward is always greater because we're making space for God in our lives. And so we offer our lives in obedience to God. Hewan shared last week about that we should use our uniqueness to serve each other, that God has made you just the way he wanted you. Easy, remember? Okay. And you should use your uniqueness to serve God. And Kuhn spoke about this pattern of comparison or the pattern of service that we have in our lives. And then instead of comparing our gifts, our abilities, ourselves to one another, who's the prettiest, I believe, was one of your examples, Kuhn? Tia is the prettiest. Okay. <laughs> Tia's my wife. Okay. Um, instead of comparing, we should rather take all that which God has given us and use it in a pattern of service. And tonight, the third idea we want to land from the book of Romans is simply this, that obedient lives are fruitful lives. Obedient lives are fruitful lives. Now, to become obedient to God, I need to change. Because by nature, I might prefer to stay as I am. But when God asks me to do something, or God challenges me in something in my life, maybe he says, this thing needs to change, or that thing needs to change, or your wife tells you it needs to change. Same thing. Um, <coughs> Kuhn is one of the most transformed people I know since he got married. Um, <laughs> Raquel and the Holy Spirit. Okay. But when God asks us to change, it requires obedience because we have to respond to what God is saying to us. So think about obedience and transformation going together. And so we come to the section in Romans chapter 12. We're going to read from verse 9 to 17 shortly. But there is the tension that had developed in the Christian community in Rome, probably between the Jew, Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, about who was more special to God. And Paul spends the first 11 chapters, as I said, that basically saying you're all equally special to God and you're all equally sinners. Therefore, you all equally need God's help. 
And he comes to this place in Romans 12, 9 to 17, and he starts talking about how these different believers from different backgrounds and spaces and places should relate to each other. Once they've offered their lives in obedience to God, once they've decided to use their gifts to serve and to think about themselves with sober judgment, to think about themselves correctly. So let's read in Romans chapter 12 from verse 9 to 17. It will come up on the screen. Love, the verb, the act of loving, must be sincere. You must hate, abhor is the correct, kind of the strength of the word. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good in a Christian community. Be devoted to one another in family love or brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Outdo one another to try and prefer the other. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, like in worship tonight. Allow the Holy Spirit to set you on fire. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. It's always a fantastic phrase. You know what you're supposed to do when you suffer? Just be patient. <laughs> Faithful, you can pray too. Faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. That's a mark of Christian community. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's higher grade. That's higher grade sincere love. That's higher grade love in action. It literally means this. It says, ask God to bestow favor on those who persecute you. It's tough. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Identify with those who rejoice. Identify, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Think the same good thoughts towards one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. And be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now, if you break these, these verses down, in the original language, they're written in phrases. And there's about 19 phrases. So here comes your first 19-point sermon. No. <laughs> not really. I'm not going to go through one by one. I've kind of explained it in a way. But there's another important change idea in Romans 12. This in this passage, Paul paints this picture for us of what a, a vibrant, living Christian community looks like. This is how the relationships and the interaction should work, the things we've just read. But in the beginning of the chapter, Paul talks about being transformed. The words are be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, be transformed by thinking differently is where Paul is going. And it stands in contrast to being conformed. So in Romans 12, it says, instead of being conformed to the pattern of the world, in other words, just changing to be like everyone else around you, unbelievers, worldly people, everyone else in your house, in your campus, at work, instead of just conforming to be down, the idea behind the word conforming is you live down to the lowest common denominator. You live down to just where everybody else is like. But you're special. You're not supposed to conform. You're supposed to transform. And behind the word transform, there's this idea of living up, that you're transforming to a 
higher order being, if I can use that language. There's this idea of metamorphosis behind the word transform, that you're changing from a worm to a butterfly. You're changing from a sinner battling with sin to being victorious over sin. There's a transformation that happens. So the change we're talking about tonight is about transformational change. It's about moving up, not moving down. And so how do we transform? How do we change who we, in the areas of our lives where we don't align with Scripture, where we don't align with what God wants us to be, where we've got things that are true in our head but not real in our hearts? How do we transform? Because when it eats our hearts, we really change. And so we, there's a, a guy who wrote a book, well, two guys, Mike Breen and Mark Kalstead, sorry, Walt Kalstead, who wrote a book called The Passionate Life, and they use shapes to try and show you how to live a life that's pleasing and honoring to God. And one of the shapes they use to teach about change is the circle. You all know what a circle is? It looks, okay, next slide, please. Sorry. Okay. We're going to talk about the circle, and the circle is about choosing to learn from life, choosing to live our lives according to God's pattern as a living sacrifice, as an obedient sacrifice to God. And so if we can move to the next slide, I'm going to just talk this through. On our journey, we've all hopefully decided to orientate our lives towards the kingdom. We're on a kingdom journey. We want to live our lives according to God's pattern. We want to be transformed. We don't want to conform and live our lives according to the pattern of the world. And so we set our hearts. And this provides the why we change. Why do I change? I want to change so that I can become a better citizen in God's kingdom. I want to change so that I can become more like Jesus intended me to be, which is more like him. So I change towards the kingdom. The direction of change is to be more and more like Jesus. But sometimes in life, we hit these moments. And if we can, thank you. Where our lives are made up of many moments, but we hit these moments that if we step on them, they're a little bit prickly. They evoke response in us. Like, you know, if you drive and someone cuts you off. Okay, that's a moment. You have a decision in that moment to be conformed or to be transformed. Or not. Okay. But we hit these moments in our lives where we can learn, where we can change. Some people call them kairos moments. It's a Greek word for a good moment in time. And if we learn to recognize these moments for what they are, they can become learning opportunities. They can become springboards launch pads for transformation in our lives. So we start the circle. Um, we're walking along, you're happily going on your life, orientated to Jesus, and you hit a moment that requires change. And when you hit this moment, the thing you want to remember this time tomorrow is, I need to do the circle. Okay, not I need to run around in circles, I need to do the circle. And so what Mike Breen and, and his friends have done for us is they've developed a process in this circle for us. To help us understand this a little bit, we want to, I'm just going to, uh, if you want to take a note, it's Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It's not going to come up on the screen, but I want to read it to you. Jesus is, well, I'll paraphrase it. Jesus is talking about the kingdom. Mark 1, 15, Jesus says, the time has come, the moment has come, <laughs> okay? When Jesus says a moment has come in your life, hey, then it's a moment. The moment has come, the kingdom is, near you. You have an opportunity to transform, to become a better kingdom citizen. 
And then Jesus says these interesting words. The kingdom is near, and then he says, repent and believe the good news. So the good news is the kingdom is here. You're on your way to the kingdom. But there's these two important mechanisms that are going to help you transform and become a better kingdom citizen. And those are the words repent and believe. And so the downward part of the circle is the repent part. The upward curve, if you want to put it that way, is the believe part. And I want to just talk a little bit about repentance. To repent does not mean saying you're sorry. There were some words earlier in the service about maybe people feeling cut off or withdrawn. And this doesn't apply to everyone. But sometimes what happens is when we withdraw from the community of God, when we withdraw from the people of God, sometimes it's just we're so tired of saying, I'm sorry, God. We're battling with things. We just can't transform. We can't change because we don't know how. And we pray every day, God, just change me. Just change me, please. I prayed that once for a while, and then one day God said, just keep quiet now. I've changed you. Just start living differently. Okay, but sorry, that's just for free. Um, repent doesn't mean to say you're sorry. Okay, that's part of it. You need to be sorry. The word means to change your mind. That's what the word actually means. When God tells us to repent, he means change the way you're thinking about how you're living. Where your life doesn't align with his life. For example, if you've been living for yourself, repentance means you choose to stop living for yourself and start living for him. You change the way you think about your life. So how do I repent? Repentance meaning this change of mind. This is a journey, by the way, of Ruthless personal honesty. Now, most of you in the room, you're young adults, so you're all into, what's the word? Authenticity and stuff? Okay. Millennials, is that right, Kieran? Authentic. This is an authentic shirt. It's like mine. Okay. But this requires journeys of honesty. And so, what Mike Green them help us understand is there's a bit of a process you can go through to help you repent. Step number one in the process of repentance, and I'm going to go through this a little quickly, is you need to observe. You need to notice your behavior. You need to, you're going along on your kingdom journey, and you go, whoa, why did I just swear at that taxi driver? Okay, no, never, you never, I don't anymore either, okay? But why did I have this reaction? Why did this person push my button? When they did this to me, why did I react? You need to notice your reactions. You need to notice how you're feeling about some things, especially guys. You need to evaluate how you're thinking. You need to observe your behavior. You need to be mindful of your behavior. Once you've done that, you need to reflect. So you observe and you reflect. Simply put, this means you ask yourself, why am I doing that? Why am I battling to get this truth that God is a father from my head to my heart? Why am I battling? What's causing this problem? Just a tip. It's never someone else's fault. It's always your fault. Okay. They made me do it. You made me angry. <laughs> now, maybe I provoked you, but you, you got angry. You understand? Maybe the provocation was extreme, but you still responded. So why is part of the reflection process? And then the last step, which is often a step we don't engage in, particularly as charismatic Christians, is discuss. This is where you take your inward journey of observing your behavior, considering why you're behaving that way, 
and then you stop talking to yourself about it only, and you start maybe perhaps talking to someone else about it that you know and you trust. The Christian life is meant to be lived together. It's meant to be lived in community. That's why it's always great to be part of a small group. Perhaps if it's something you're wrestling with, it's good to get with a pastor or a Christian leader or a friend that you know and trust. Invite others into the conversation. You see, we all have blind spots. Like maybe you genuinely think it's always everybody else's fault that you get angry. Or your cell phone made you do it or whatever. Okay? And when you start discussing it with a friend, someone you trust and know, they can actually say to you, well, actually, it's not them, it's you. People are always fighting with me. Everywhere I go, people are fighting with me. A true friend will say to you, I wonder what the common denominator there is. Okay? You. <laughs> okay. So in my journey, I had to observe why am I battling to let God close, to be intimate. I had to reflect on it why. I went to people I knew and trust, spiritual leaders, and said, I believe this teaching. I know it's in the Bible. I've got it. I can actually teach it to others, but it's not yet real for me. Help me see what I'm not seeing. By the way, just in this process, very important, I should have said it earlier, please forgive me, is this is not a self-effort journey. This is a journey with the Holy Spirit. This is a journey with the Comforter. This is, Holy Spirit, help me understand why. Holy Spirit, make me conscious of my behaviors and my changes, which are unkingdom-like. Help me, empower me to change. So it's not a journey you ever walk alone. The Comforter walks with you. And so this part of the repent is you observe, you reflect, and you discuss your behavior that's maybe not such kingdom-like behavior. And so now we move to the more positive side, the upside of the circle. We believe this is where, where I go to the Word or I find out what should I be believing? How should I be thinking differently? Remember, repentance is a change of mind. How should I be thinking differently? I think I'm a worm. I really think actually I'm single. When Neil said earlier, I'm single because there's something wrong with me. Yeah, that's true. It's all the confirmation I've ever needed. Pleasure. Um, <laughs> you need to change how you think. There's nothing wrong with you if you're single. Yet. Okay. Remember, marriage is coming. The higher grade change school is on the horizon. But we need to understand what we should believe. And so we use the word plan. Plan doesn't mean, unless you really are wired this way, that you sit down and make a list of the, the, you know, the action steps you're going to take. Plan is, what does the Word say? You're discussing with a friend. How am I going to overcome this sin? How am I going to make this moment a learning moment? I was just joking and being sarcastic, and then they told me that I'm always nasty and evil. And I go, oh, Lord, is that true? Why am I so cutting and nasty? Go to a friend and say, Gideon, am I really like a sarcastic twit all the time? Gideon goes, I'm so glad. I was planning to talk to you about it. <laughs> okay. And you go, well, what are we going to do about it? Well, I'm going to watch my tongue. What does the Bible say? Okay, let no unwholesome talk come out of my mouth, Ephesians 4. How am I going to do that? I start aligning my life with God's plan. And then what really helps is if I set up an accountability process. You see... If I'm battling with something and I keep saying I'm sorry and I don't ever consider why I'm doing it, my chances of getting over it and stopping it is actually very little. God can do a miracle for you. I believe that. Okay? But my chances of getting over it is when I go to someone else 
in the family of God. And I say, please help me. And then I say to them, will you just check with me every week what I'm doing and how I'm doing? And am I doing what God has told me to do? Am I doing the plan that God has put together? And then the last step of belief is that you should act. Do what God is telling you to do. And so as I discuss through this issue of this, getting the Father's love in my heart and understanding it, I realized that what I needed was to, so, at that time we were doing a lot of soaking meetings, which is kind of like a seeking meeting that we have on the Wednesday nights. But I had to be in God's presence. I had to marinate my soul, is my language, okay? I had to marinate my soul in the presence of God so that my heart could soften up, that I could come to this place where I was open to hear and receive what God was saying to me. I had to make sure that I was reflecting on the Word and reading the Bible and reading the Scriptures about God as a Father. And every now and then, my spiritual mentor at that stage, he would say to me, how's your journey going? What's happening? And I could tell him. And it was like the scales in my heart just kept tipping and tipping. If they were orientated this way, the more I stayed in God's presence, the more I meditated on the Word. And then one day, someone prayed for me, and I went down under the power of the Spirit of God. And when I got up, I knew this thing has tipped. The journey from the head to the heart has changed. Then I even liked myself better. And so as we repeat the cycle of repenting and believing, we develop circles of change in our lives. And as we go on our kingdom journey, we start being transformed more and more. As we place ourselves under the word of God and we allow it to mirror to us what behavior we should have, as we place ourselves under the word of God and we allow it to become a window for us to reflect on our lives, to observe our behavior, to see if it matches with what God is saying, we come to this place where obedient response is required. And I'd like us to go back now to Romans chapter 12. I want to read those verses again. This, these verses show us a picture of the fruit that should be evidence, evident in our lives as we transform. As we live in a young adult community, as we live in different communities of faith, small groups, maybe even other Christian fellowships, and even if you're thinking about transforming your campus or your workplace, these are goals, models of behavior that we can aspire to. And so how are you doing tonight when we read through these verses? Perhaps there's a Kairos moment for you here. You're hitting a road and you go, well, you know, my act of loving isn't all that sincere. I'm just doing it for the show. Well, actually, I'm really mean and vindictive, and I love repaying evil for evil. In fact, nobody messes with me because if they mess with me, I just go one up. Perhaps you're a gossip and you're always telling the stories about other people and you read this phrase about honor one another above yourselves. Is your language honoring? Why am I behaving that way? Observe my behavior in the light of the word of God. Why am I behaving that way? If it's really difficult, discuss it with someone I know and trust. Plan to change. What's God saying to me? How am I going to do it? What's the Bible say? Get someone to keep me accountable and start acting on my plan. So let's read Romans 12, and let's trust the Holy Spirit to apply it to our lives in the framework that we've been discussing tonight. Love must be sincere, must be real. You must hate what is evil, particularly in the Christian community, and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Do you love your brothers and sisters? Honor one another above yourselves. 
Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Trust the Holy Spirit to keep the fire burning, serving God. Be joyful in hope. God has a good plan for your life. You can be joyful, not depressed about it. Be patient when times are tough. Not just when people are persecuting you for being a Christian, but be patient when you've got exams, when tough times come. Be patient. Be faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Be generous with your life. Bless those who persecute it. Pray for God to bestow a blessing on them. Bless them and do not curse. Be happy with those who are happy. Identify with those who mourn. Come alongside them and encourage them. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is in the right, right in the eyes of everyone. And so, I'm just going to skip to my conclusion. In conclusion, I said at the beginning that obedient lives are fruitful life. An obedient life is a life that is being transformed all the time. That you hit these moments, these places in your life and your kingdom journey, and they become learning moments where you can change. When you are obedient, fruit, like we've just read, comes into your life. And these transformed lives are fruitful lives. So how is your transformational journey? How is your journey to adopting the perfect pattern, the kingdom pattern, God's pattern? The reality on this journey is each of us is going to fail. There's going to be that one, I'm sorry if there's any taxi drivers here, we really do love you. Um, but there's going to be that one, taxi drivers are easy illustrations as well though. There, well, let's use social media rather, I'll get off the roads. There is that one person on social media who's just going to be obnoxious. They're just going to be rude. They're not going to like your wedding ring photo, Kieran. Okay. And then you respond, not good. Okay. And we will fail. Failure means simply this. It's an opportunity to get on the altar. It's an opportunity to go, my life is a living sacrifice. Lord, I place my heart on the altar. It's not what it should be. I sacrifice my will. I sacrifice my desire for revenge. I sacrifice my desire to hit back, to justify myself. I lay it on the altar, and in so doing, I create space in my life for the Spirit of God to come and change me, for the Spirit of God to come and transform me. And so we do the circle, and it leads to this fruitful life. And tonight, God is calling us to obedience, to live a fruitful life. This time tomorrow, well, tomorrow night, but kind of think when the sun's still shining. Tomorrow, two o'clock, where are you going to be? Will there be a space for you to show evidence of your transformed life? To honor one another, to be kind, not to repay evil, to be hospitable, to share to rejoice with those who rejoice, who rejoice, to mourn, perhaps if there's someone who's sad. How do you create a space for God to work in your life this time tomorrow? So Romans 12 also speaks about a community, a Christian community that was experiencing tensions. I think we're doing quite well. None of you have thrown stuff at me yet. But imagine being part of a community that pictures Romans 12, a community where love is sincere, where the act of loving one another is sincere. Q and ended last week and he spoke about a community of called people. 
That's the church. That's the ecclesia. The word ecclesia means the called out ones, the ones called out to a purpose. This is the community that God is calling us to be, that patterns our lives after the perfect pattern of God. God is calling us to be a fruitful community. And so I'm going to close in prayer, but if you'd like to come up for prayer afterwards, there'll be a prayer team here. And maybe it's time for you just to reflect and share and just share with someone I've really been battling. I'm not learning, I'm failing. I'm being conformed, I'm not being transformed. And you're stuck. I want to trust tonight as we pray for you that God releases something in your life where you can come to freedom, that you can experience transformation. Perhaps it doesn't happen here in front. Perhaps it happens at Connect over coffee. You see, I've really been battling. Or I really want to become more like Jesus. My love is not as sincere as it should be. So over coffee, in the moments as you interact, at the Forge events, and the ladies' events, sorry, opportunity for transformation wherever we go. So Father, thank you that you love us, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that our lives are an obedient sacrifice to you, that you have made us uniquely, just like you wanted us, so that we can serve one another in love. But Lord, we offer you our lives also for transformation tonight, for transformation into kingdom purposes, for transformation to become more like Jesus. I want to pray, Lord, for people tonight that have been battling. And maybe tonight, as we've shared the circle, they've realized that repentance is just more than saying sorry, and actually, they can actually change. And they don't have to give up. They don't have to withdraw from the community and allow the roaring lions to separate them. Because they've said sorry so many times, Lord, that they're just tired of not changing. I pray for breakthrough for those tonight in that position. I pray for those, Lord, who are on the positive curve, that are wanting to love more sincerely, to honor more, to live in lifestyles and honors of culture, that by the power of your Spirit that works in us, you would transform our lives. Take us up and not down. Thank you that we don't have to conform, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I pray your blessing on each one, on the families represented here, and ask for your power to go with us in this week as we live out our lives to honor you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.